is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 167, where we interview Ilko DeBoer. Uh, Felix, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? Sorry, I've just got my scanner going in the background. I apologize. It should be done. Not a problem. It's Not a done. Problem. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Getting rid of paper? What's that? Getting rid of paper? <laughs> well, it's more of a backup, I would say, actually. But uh, but yes, somewhat. Well, good. Yeah. Good. Well, what, what are you scanning and what are you scanning it into? It's relevant. Well, I got a, it's a good question, I guess. It's a, uh, it's a water test. We had our well water tested. Oh, by the way, which I recommend you guys do because you have the similar, same system. You need to get it tested every year. And, yeah. um, and it, the county test, the Suffolk county test is, it's only like a hundred dollars. Um, which I know seems like a lot, but Hey, it's free water out of the ground. Um, and Anyway, um, we just got the results back. It, it's the cheapest test, but they it takes it takes a while because they have a big backlog to do. Anyway, so I'm just scanning the results so that we have them, and so I can forward them onto Fancy Hands to set up the um, the servicing appointment for the filter. Oh, awesome! Hey, well, what, is, what, what, yeah. were, what were the results? What did it show? It just showed a few a few things that are that are not major, but basically, it showed that. We have, I mean, the guy called, the guy who came around, um, he he said that you need to have your, like the ionizer replaced. There's an ionizer and there's a filter and it basically shows that the, that one of those filters, one of the ionizer or whatever is done and it needs to be replaced and that's just standard. So. Did, did it show any, any heavy metals at all? Like manganese or iron or anything? It shows, let's have a look. Because I know we have manganese in our water filter, and that was actually something that I mean, sorry, in our in our well in our water, and that was something that showed up on my hair analysis test was that I had a high level of manganese. Yeah. Oh, dactyl pesticides. Oh. So that's those were showed a little. I mean, it's still a tiny amount. But wait, hit, hit. yeah, no, but that's good to yeah, know. Yeah, but I had a. I, this is actually a good question for you. So the pesticides that they find in this, I mean, isn't that aren't those all over? You know the salad we buy from the non-organic food that we buy yes. things anyway. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, in a way it's sort of like, I mean, yeah, we're going to get it fixed, but in a way it's sort of much ado about nothing in a way. Right. Because you're already, you're well, already getting it. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally, obviously you want to be washing that kind of lettuce and stuff, but you know, and you're, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, pesticides are, are obviously not a good thing for us to ingest. Yeah. The more we can avoid it, the better. But yeah, it's it's a fair point, except that you know they do accumulate. Yeah, yeah, I see. So. Okay, but anyway, that's cool. Yeah. So that, and that's that is relevant. And everybody, if you are on well water, even if you're not on well water, actually, it's worth having your water tested because, like here, in, you know, in, in our place in New York City, you can still find heavy metals and fluoride, obviously, and all sorts of things in your water yeah. that you can you can filter. But sometimes uh, a general charcoal filter, like a pure or Brita, is not going to quite get what you what you need so yeah. like as felix was saying he has an ionizer yeah and whatnot so yeah so cool okay all right well uh, well that was a good little sidetrack so let's get into the uh the the links today okay yeah let's so do it. uh the first one is uh, called right signature like right hand and it says it's the easiest fastest way to get documents filled out and signed online now I'm a big fan of these services that allow you to fill out and sign documents digitally. I'm, I usually use HelloSign and Sign Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this one takes things a little bit of a step further. What I like is that you can actually uh, identify fields that people have to fill out, mm-hmm. and which, which actually makes it easier when you're mobile. Okay. So, for example, you know, it, like I, I can pull up any PDF that I get on my phone and have it in HelloSign. And, but, and it's fine. It's easy, but I still have to zoom in to, you know, like if, if you can picture like a, like a W2 form, for instance, from the IRS, you know, you still have to zoom in and then put in your name and then go down a line and put in your address. Yeah. And it's never quite perfect if you're doing it on the phone and what. 
So what this will do actually is that you can just create fields so people can see the document, but then they just have to like fill out, you know, the name and their town and check a box if they've, you know, male or female and then sign it. And so it, it actually makes it's like next, 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 and you just have the field to fill out itself. Yeah, that is cool. So I, I think it's a it's yeah, it's just a really nice way to organize it. And it's also it's a trackable system. So if you're sending something out to somebody else for signature, it's it's really great. So I have to say that some people still like demand that you do things with physical paper, and a lot of those are like government organizations. But digital signatures are legally binding in all fifty states now, mm-hmm. and actually, di- digital notarizations are even legal now. Oh, really? So you can do that. Oh yeah. They, well, they they first what what was interesting was they passed that as a law in Virginia, I think, two years ago, and then that's basically becomes you know a precedent for other places. So yeah, you can go to. Uh, websites like Notary Now and a couple others, and you can do a notary by a webcam, which is pretty cool. Really, it's oh significant. My God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more expensive, but you know, if you're doing it for like a mortgage form or something like that, then it's probably you know, it's like a drop in the bucket compared to having to deal with getting a notarization. That's great. I'm writing that down. Um, no, that's great because it's also annoying. Like, sorry, I just you know, as you know, I'm a notary, but notaries can't notarize their own signatures, so it's like. Really well, it's also it's also a big deal to have to go and um, to go, you know, in you know, we've got kids and then, you know, if, if both Claire and I, both my wife and I need to notarize something, then we all have to go, you know. So, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> um, go ahead. I was going to say, and cheaper than a mobile notary tool, I imagine, because that's, yes, that yes. racks up. Yeah, you. Uh, the, the, in general, what I see with like a mobile notary and what, what Felix means by that is somebody who will come to your home or office to notarize yeah. for you. Uh, it's typically like ninety nine dollars. That's what you're looking at. Whereas the uh, the online ones can be thirty, forty bucks. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, okay, so so this next one is. I think this is a very very cool thing uh, that Uber did, and it's called Uber Drive. Yeah, and it's a game. It's a game. Oh, it is a game. So. It's a game, yeah. It, but it, what's what, what's funny about it? So it, it basically it's a game where you're putting your city knowledge to the test. So essentially, you're supposed to find the fastest way to get from point A to point B on a real city map. You know, so it's like you have to get to this street uh, over this street. What's the fastest way? But what's funny about it? What they're actually using this for is it's a recruiting tool for Uber drivers. Yeah, right. Which is brilliant. Is I mean, brilliant. I think <laughs> like what a great idea, yeah, right? Exactly. Plus, people people love to talk about directions and the fastest way to get people get places so yeah exactly so i thought that was i thought this was really really cool very cool uh, yeah. and uh smart marketing and it's also it's like they're training people for free so i thought that was really funny yes yeah exactly keeping with the funny things uh so as you should all know from listening to us felix and i are both married well we're married to sisters who are both french and there's an article in business insider this week did you see this felix um I did not know which. Um, okay, well then don't don't look don't look. I'm going to tell you because you're going to. Um, so it's an article titled that French the French people are the most productive in the world. That's hilarious. <laughs> now, no offense to any French people listening. That's that's not why it's funny. It's just if you look at if you think about the culture of France and, and the French culture, you you really have to look at the definition of productive because. I, I think even on a self-proclaimed level, most French people wouldn't say like that they're the most productive. I think they're pretty proud of the fact that they they tend to enjoy life a little more and and relax and you know, whatnot. Right. So, which is which is common with a lot of European cultures. But what they're basing this on essentially is that French the French people on average work the fewest number of hours per year. Right. But right. Their GDP. Their GDP. Yeah, their GDP sure. does not reflect that. Their GDP does not reflect that. So, what they found was that uh, people work an average of about I think it's like 1900 hours per year in all the, and this is all over the world. So that's through the entire world. And, uh, in, in France, people work an average of 1582 hours per year. Oh, okay. Really? So almost 400 hours less per year. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but their GDP is still fairly high. So France is actually number 18th in the world in terms of GDP per capita. So if they break it down, by GDP per capita per hour. Okay, yeah. So that means that, you know, how much the entire country is making broken down by the number of people broken down by the hour, the average number of hours worked, they actually end up with the highest, the highest output. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and and so the, the way yeah. that it breaks down is that uh, basically what you end up with is that the French are achieving a GDP per capita per hour of $25 and 10 cents. 
while Americans are uh, only achieving $24.60 per GDP capita per hour. So uh, that may not sound like a lot, a 50 cent difference, but it actually, it is if you multiply that by millions and millions of people and billions of dollars. Yeah, so, sure. Pretty cool. So French are, are working the fewest number of hours and producing the most for it. Yeah, right. Well, so yeah, I mean, good for them. No, no, exactly. Well, I mean, with the they have so much more holiday time, and uh, uh, where do we start? Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can start by moving on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the the next one. Uh, this is just a, a good resource that I found. It's called uh, Vidivo. I guess it's Vidivo.net, and uh, this is if you're doing any kind of video production work. And and what one of the things that I well, okay, so basically what it is, is it provides stock video footage for you to use for free. Okay, so you have all these websites that give you stock photos. Well, this is stock video footage, which is, which is really cool. So you can get B-roll or, yeah, or whatever yeah. you need for stuff. I've, I've, I've been and looking for this. I'm really glad that you, uh, that you found this, by the way. So um, oh, this is a great cool. thing for me to well, put some of my demo music up to. I've been looking for this kind of thing. That's yeah. yeah, exactly what I, I, I thought you'd like this. But and the thing is, is if you think about the way technology has improved, like a kid, a 12 year old kid in the middle of like Nebraska can now make, you know, an Oscar film if they want, you know, a short film, like because of the way technology just allows us to do things. So it's really nice when there's resources like this that just make it easier for creative people to to share stuff. Right, right. So. Yeah, that's no, awesome. But how, how much uh, of it okay, is so actually uh, free? That's the. Uh, it's the real. Uh, so yeah. it it appears that most of it. I, I mean, it, it. I think it all is free, actually. To be honest. So I'm looking. I'm looking. It says that it's a home of completely free HD stock footage and motion graphics for any project. Our royalty free library contains over 2,700 HD clips. Oh, well, I will. Uh, I may be reporting back on that. That looks great. Cool. Yeah. Feel free to report yeah um, okay so the, the next one i'm just going to mention this really quickly because we already talked about something like this which was bump sale last week and this is called lolly uh same idea as bump sale basically you you can sell something online and every time someone buys it it goes up by a dollar so uh we, we talked about this you know last week i just there was another one here so I, it seems like this is becoming sort of a popular area for some reason and uh, i'd love to hear how people may or may not be using this stuff so if you are then uh you know please share with us that is cool. It would be good to know yeah. sites which are using it for a start. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, of, uh, course. of course. Yeah. Um, okay, so then the next one is an article in, uh, it was in The Atlantic, and it was called Inbox Zero versus Inbox 5000, A Unified Theory. Mm -hmm. It says there are two, ty two types of people in the world, those with hundreds of unread messages and those who can't relax until their inboxes are cleared out. Yeah. It's, this is definitely worth a read, I would say, for anybody who is sort of struggling with their inbox. And I, I, I don't completely agree with a lot of what they're saying. Uh, because first of all, like me, me personally, I'm a big fan, obviously, as you know, of Inbox Zero. However, it's not a stress point for me when I can't get to Inbox... I mean, well, when I don't get to Inbox Zero for a certain amount of time. And I don't think it should be. And that's also not the point. Inbox mm. Zero... You know, having no emails in your inbox is not necessarily the point. The point is to have an effective system for dealing with not only your emails, but for, uh, for inputs in general in your life. And so I definitely know people who have thousands of emails in their inbox, and they're actually totally fine with that, which I don't agree with that for sure, because I don't think that's efficient in any way possible. But just clearing out your emails because like, you have to get the inbox zero... And being stressed about it, that's also definitely not the point. So I think that this this article actually misses the point in a lot of ways, but it's really worth reading. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I I just um I don't know. I, I love having inbox my <laughs> inbox completely cleared out. And um I, right. I, I do it's, find it's like it is a it is I mean to call it a stress point might be um might sound like an exaggeration. That's basically what it is. Right. But um I, I mean, I think it's like comforting almost like it's a, it's, you know, you feel like you're in control. Of yeah, it. exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I really, I, I don't have to have it, but I really like it when I do, you know, and I like being able to yeah, use well, mailbox yeah. just to do in a single swipe, just clear everything out, you know, and, um, exactly. and have it come back, you know, after the weekend or something. So, <laughs> so, so I'm now right. looking at, you know, 
dozens of emails in my inbox. But anyway. Well, well, but the thing, you know what the thing is, though, that they're, what they're, they hit on here, hmm. which again is, is the wrong way to approach this, is that they're saying that basically people are checking their email incessantly. And that means if you're checking your email incessantly, and like what they base this on is there's a study, there, there was a study in 2012 that showed that people, like on average, 70% of people check, check an email within six seconds of getting the notification. And that is totally not the point. Because yes, of course, that would be stressful. Yeah. If you, that's and that's also not efficient. Like if you're doing your email once an hour or even once a day, as some people do, but you do it really efficiently and you can power through a bunch of emails in 20, 30 minutes, that's great. Like I, I don't even have the notifications for email turned on on my phone. No, neither do I. That was actually a really right. yeah, that was a really big tip. Um, I can't remember where it was, but turning off that note, I, I have the badge come up to tell me because yeah, I find that if I don't have that, then I'm going in and checking anyway. You know, if I look at my phone, I t you know, I turn it on. But if I don't have that, then I'm going to just open up Gmail and then check, you know. So, um, so I think not having the audio audible notification, but having the bad, the visible yeah. one is a very good way of the good balance. Yeah, I don't have an audible and I don't have a vi uh, the vibrating thing yeah. either. It's just that I have I have the badge. So if I check my phone, then I can deal with the email. So again, I think that this article completely misses the point. But because of that, it's actually good. It's a good read for that purpose, because you have to understand that you're not supposed to check your email constantly. Uh, and yeah. an inbox zero itself is not the goal. Exactly. It's really being able to effectively process this. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Um, uh, the, the next one is an article in Medical Daily, and it's called Natural Inflammation Treatment. Breathing exercises and ice baths may quell the immune system. So hmm. this is, yeah, and, and now this is not uh, like, you know, totally out of left field. Uh, we all know, or I mean, most of us know that ice baths or ice in general is, is really good for inflammation. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is effective in all forms of inflammation, including even Crohn's, where you can help quell inflammation through ice baths and, and ice exposure and cold exposure. Uh, but they, they talk about breathing as well. And there is a guy, a famous guy named, uh, he, they call him the Iceman. His name is Wim, uh, Wim Hof, sorry. And he's Dutch and he's, they call him the Iceman. He's actually been on all these different TV shows and stuff. And essentially this guy like cannot get cold. He's been in ice baths in the middle of like the Arctic for, you know, an hour and his core body temperature doesn't go down at all. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's insane. <sighs> but he basically, but he teaches this to really? people and it's kind of amazing. Yeah. So a lot of what he does, a lot of it has to do with breathing exercises. Really. And essentially he teaches these specific breathing exercises that calm the body's nervous system and keep you warm and all this stuff. And uh, it's just, it was just really interesting showing the power of, uh, not just a natural remedy or anything like that, but being able to breathe to control their autonomic responses and your the autonomic nervous system responses in your body. Really? Wow. Yeah. So I, I find that even a simple box breathing technique, which, which we've done together, you know, right. Where the, you're doing like four breaths <laughs> and hold. Well, we did it at the less doing live event with, um, with. That's yeah. right. So that, that itself, I actually find is very common yes. for me in, in general. It's true. Uh, okay, so we got a bunch of links today. So the next one, there's an article in lifehacker.com uh, by Melanie Pignola, which is funny, actually, because uh, the only time I've ever appeared in Life Lifehacker, uh, she actually was the one who wrote about me. Hmm. So uh, Melanie, Melanie Pignola, was, uh, she wrote about how tracking what I do every day helped me find better work-life balance. Uh, now, first of all, I don't love that term, work-life balance. I've talked about that before. <laughs> I think it's more about work-life integration. But... Uh, the article is really good and she shows a couple pictures of like her planner and stuff and it's it, it's important because she talks about a couple methods but even so what i try to tell people a lot of times is that sometimes when you're tracking things it's not so much about correlating it or figuring out necessarily what you're going to do about it most of the time just tracking just being aware is all it takes to affect positive change in your mm -hmm. life and, uh, and this is great. I, I think it's, it's just a, it's a short, really, really good article. Uh, she was showing like when she worked, when she ate, how she slept, all this stuff. And, and the result was really that she was able to just have sort of more of a sense of control and calm and, and understanding of how she was spending her time. And with one of the issues with overwhelm that we all experience has to do with the rapid changing pace of technology and, 
And essentially, there's just too much going on. And people tend to feel like they're not getting as much done as they actually are, or things are worse than they actually are. There's just a lot of unawareness. Mm. So when you start tracking things, it brings back that awareness. And it's uh, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, um, you know, just doing, using the, um, you know, I, I done this today or I done this.com, yep. those kind of things. Um, and you know what, actually what I was doing, I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast already is I just print out the weekly calendar. I was trying to see where my time is going, exactly what I'm doing. And Hey, look exactly what yeah. she's got here in this, exactly what she did. I did exactly that. I actually just printed out a calendar from the, you know, Apple calendar app. Yeah. And then I just filled it in as I was doing it uh, to see exactly where, because the digital time trackers are great and everything that, that that's fine, but actually, but they're, they're not going to check track everything else that you're doing. And normally, and I discovered that that's really where my time goes. It's not me sitting down doing my, my core business, which is composing, producing music. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and you, I mean, you could, couldn't have put it better. You know, it's your core business. Yeah. And that's where really a lot of this stuff is supposed to let you focus yeah. on. So two more articles. So the, the, the last or the second one, second to last one sorry, is a study called The Effects of Egg Consumption on Carotenoid Absorption from Co-Consumed Raw Vegetables. Now, that is a very, very fancy way of saying that you should add an egg to your salad. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> so, basically, uh, this is great. Um, actually, I, I was surprised that this was a study rather than just somebody writing an article about mm. it. But <clears throat> they were essentially showing that if you add a raw egg, I'm sorry, not a raw egg, if you add an egg, to uh, your vegetables or your salad or whatever, you're going to, to absorb a lot more of the nutrients from those vegetables, which totally makes sense because uh, basically you're combining, you know, all the vitamins you're going to get in those, those vegetables, vitamins A, K, E, all that stuff with fats and the fat, because they're fat soluble vitamins, then you're going to get a lot more of it. What do you, is that a good idea if you have, if you had eggs for breakfast that morning? Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you think they're really, going to be really, like going over the top on the uh, cholesterol consumption or something like that? You no, don't think so? No, I'm not. That's not. If you're having good eggs that are you know from pastured chickens, then uh, you're, you're that's not something you need to be worrying oh, okay. about. Uh, I mean, there there have been there have been several times where I've e- I've split a dozen eggs, scrambled eggs with with somebody for breakfast. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, but this also, the thing is with this is it really does need to be like with the meal. It's not like you can have eggs and then a couple hours later have some vegetables and you're going to get that benefit. Okay. Okay. So, but you know, I, I like, that's like a Niswa salad or I mean, any salad really, I think you, you can add an egg to it and, and get this benefit from it's just, just a good thing to think about. And a lot of places now they'll, if they don't have hard boiled eggs, then they'll have some kind of eggs that you can add on. Like, you know, even a, like a Panera or something like that, right. they can probably add an egg. And so, yeah. Eggs are great. It's going to fill you up and you're going to get a lot more of those vitamins. Okay, that's cool. Uh, okay, so then the last one is this is an article called how, how to Get More Likes and Comments on Instagram According to Science. Uh, so I've actually found Instagram to be really useful for, the, for business purposes, which I was surprised about. But it is the fastest growing social media network right now. And people are really engaging on it, which is cool. So uh, there's just a few things there. They say use filters that add contrast and warmth. Mm-hmm. So those, those photos are going to be more appealing to people. Uh, and I think honestly, like part of that is because if you're looking at a feed of a lot of pictures, the thing that has like high contrast is probably going to stand out a lot more. Right, right. It's like doing black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, they say focus on faces to, uh, to draw engagement. So having faces. <laughs> and then uh, five hashtags is the golden number. Oh, really? Okay. Do, do you try to get um, lots of people on your Instagram feed? <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. Mm. So I have, I think I have like 1700 followers on Instagram right now. And, uh, mm. it's, I, I, it's proved really useful. I mean, we, we got two sponsors for the live event from Instagram and, uh, I've gotten uh, a bunch of podcast listeners I know from the, from the Instagram. So do you, yeah. um, do you use it? Um, do you like ask people questions or anything like that on Instagram or have people chime in to you using it in like a two way, um, communication type thing? Yeah, I have, I have actually, I've put, um, I have put, uh, I've had design pickle create quote images, sort of like an image with a question. One of them was like, what is the oldest business book you've ever read? And that was something I put on there and got, that got quite a few Uh, comments. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's all we have. For oh, I, I have today. a tip actually for once. Oh, you yeah, do. It's been oh. a while. So you know how I'm really into. Uh, I was really into Sound Gecko. In fact, you know, forgive me yeah. if I already mentioned this. I forget which things we've, which I've mentioned or not. Well, so uh, Sound Gecko is a was a service that you would was. was a service. I know that would you would forward it. You would email an article to an online article, and then you would. And then it would crunch it and it would send back an audio recording, which you could actually subscri- subscribe to as a podcast or however you want to do it. And it would recite it by computer, but it did not sound like a computer. It sounded like, like a human being. It was incredible. Um, like you wouldn't think it was a computer unless I told you. Anyway, they shut down, sadly, because for whatever reason. Um, but there is a something in the iOS system that works rather well, um, which is not as good, but it is a, it is a compromise. And what you do, it is, it's, you know, it works well enough. You, uh, you have to, I think you have to set this up in your settings. Um, but if you scroll two fingers down from the top of your screen, it will then dictate, it will pull up a little dictation, um, panel and it will dictate the, um, the article on your screen, which, which is great because it's actually oh. very quick. So although, although it's, it doesn't sound quite as good as, um, as, um, you know, sound gecko, it's actually a lot faster and you don't need to wait for data reception. You do need to install. I recommend installing the, um, the best, um, dictation person, which Apple has. And they are, I think the, the one I like is called Alex. Now, he, t- he takes about, up about a gigabyte of, of uh, memory. Okay, so it's called VoiceOver. This is what it's called. Cool. I think it's called VoiceOver. Is it called VoiceOver? Yeah, so VoiceOver. You've got to, so you go to General Accessibility. So in iOS 8, you go to General Accessibility. Um, and then you go to VoiceOver. Let's put that on. And then think you will be able to um, scroll down from the top and then you'll see there's like a little mobile play pause and you can change the speed of it and it's really good awesome that's a great thank you well thank you Um, okay well everyone thanks for listening in and we will see you on the next episode okay see you later see ya the Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize automate and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my less doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So I'm sitting in uh, a restaurant called Cow, that's C-A-U, which is really cool, in, uh, in Amsterdam right now. And I'm here with Ilko de Boer. And Ilko is a serial entrepreneur. We're uh, in a sort of noisy restaurant, but I'm using a mic. We're going to be passing it back and forth, and we're just going to have a conversation about his life. He's got some really interesting insights on marketing. So uh, here we go. So the first thing, I guess, Ilko, is just give a little background on sort of how you got started like with the, with the records and everything. And so... Yeah, so um, this is fun, by the way. We're in a really, really good restaurant right now and uh, having a drink, and uh, so this is cool. So uh, my background, I started selling hip-hop records 15 years ago online. So um, 
in no, it was it wasn't Amsterdam. It was like 100 miles from Amsterdam in the north of Holland. And uh, because I had a passion for hip hop records, and um, started selling them, and then started selling um, through a, 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 a web store, and then on eBay and all that stuff. And um, then I got hooked by the internet. I was like, wow, man, this is amazing. At that time, I was just having jobs, and I was a hustler. You know, I was just doing my thing. And this was the first time I could really, um, you know, make money with something that I really loved. So I really embraced the internet and just, you know, that was the moment that, like, literally my life changed because I could do the stuff that I love and grow my business and have fun with it. And um, so that's actually how I started, yeah, with selling hip-hop records. So, first of all, I mean, maybe this is just from my American point of view, but it's it seems like hip-hop records wouldn't necessarily be the biggest market in Amsterdam or in, in, in Holland. So, what where were you sourcing them from? Like, what gave you the idea that that would be something you could do? So, it was pure coincidence. So, um, I was collecting hip-hop records, and, um, and then one Sunday afternoon, I, I was digging through my records, and there were like 100 records that I didn't like anymore or I had them double or whatever. And I put them on, um, on a Dutch version of Craigslist, it's called Marktplatz. And that Sunday afternoon, I sold 500 guilders, which is around maybe $400 or whatever. And um, with a huge profit margin, because I, I knew how to buy them cheap. And um, so I actually made a couple of hundred dollars in one afternoon, which was huge for me at that time. And then I was like, okay, I have to, I have to do this more often and go all out. And that's basically, um, yeah, that's basically how I started. Yeah. So then, I, what was next? I mean, basically after that, what was the next company or what was the next move? Yeah. So I've been, I've been. That was in 2000, and then I've been selling for five years just online. I sold tens of thousands of uh, things on eBay and web stores and everything. And then from 2005, I um, I started selling information products. Um, there was literally nothing, nobody in Holland who was selling information products. Like um, I was the there were maybe two or three guys, one guy from Belgium, one guy from Holland, who who were selling an ebook. And there were literally there was nothing, like nothing. And uh, in in the states, it was already going on for like five years. So I got the information from the states, and um, I started uh, selling. Um, Information products from 2005. What and kind of product? Uh, my first ebook was an ebook on how to sell on eBay because I was sold like huge amounts on eBay. And uh, my second ebook was how to run a marathon. So I ran two marathons and I was like, yeah, if I can run a marathon, anybody can run a marathon. So it was a uh, really easy ebook, 99 tips on how to run a marathon. Sold pretty well. I sold like, I don't know, five a day or something, which was good at that time. And, um, and from there, I basically created, now there are companies, but at that time there were just websites that I used and needed because it wasn't existent in Holland. So for example, we started a, 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 a payment system, it's called PayPro, it's like ClickBank in, in, in the States, but it's a Dutch version. I started Enormail in 2005, which is a Dutch um, uh, email marketing system. Uh, we started a hosting company, a web design company, we started an e-commerce platform. Everything, because it wasn't existent in Holland, and I needed it, I needed affiliates, so we created an affiliate system. So, because we have different payment systems and stuff over here in Holland, so basically I had to create all those websites, and now they're all separate companies, because they grew with me the last 10 years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's funny in hindsight, I never thought about it, but it's pretty interesting how it developed, because it wasn't really strategic, it was just really like, okay, I need this stuff, so we created it. And then they grew because the internet grew and I grew and my but the brand the brand grew so uh, yeah. So I mean so that's really interesting that you basically created this whole ecosystem around what you need and and there's a pretty common thing you know with uh, with entrepreneurs basically solving their own problems. Yeah. But so I mean you're creating new payment systems, hosting systems. Did you have to also deal with this being a new thing for your customers and like you know having to educate them about how buying online and all that stuff? It's interesting that you uh, that you say this. I haven't I haven't thought about this for a while, but I really had to educate my customers, um, especially the first couple of years. Like, what is information marketing? What is an ebook? How does it work? Uh, what is affiliate? Mar I am, I got sick by t explaining people what is affiliate marketing, what is all that stuff. It was non-existent, so I really had to educate them on first of all, what is it, you know, and. Um, and uh, so the first couple of years was really solely based on ex uh, educating them on how to use it and why it's in interesting and why it would work and 
I got a lot of resistance from a lot of people. I mean, the amount of time that people told me back in those days, like nobody would ever buy an ebook, for example. I'm like, yeah. If we if we talk right now, it's a different uh, different time. So, but um, yeah, educating was a big part of the growth of those companies, and I. I got forced into educating them because otherwise nobody would buy it because they didn't know and didn't understand. So, you know, one of the things that I work on with people a lot of times is that, you know, if you have a problem, you can create a solution. It's very easy to outsource things nowadays, particularly. But I'm still, and I don't want to, like, harp on this too much, but you have to create a hosting company, like, and it doesn't exist. What what do you do? Like, how did, how did you, what, what were the resources that you used to actually be able to create these things? Sheer luck. So, uh, a lot of luck. Yeah, a lot of luck. So I, I, um, I bumped into guys that were programmers, for example, and they I saw in Holland. Yeah. So uh, in in the north, one of the one of my main partners of, of a pretty decent company. I grew up with him. You know, he uh, he lived in my house when we were young, and uh, so basically it was just started small, and then another project, another project, and then oh, maybe we could do a partnership and. Um, so I own six companies, and five of those companies they are they they're being run. Their other partners are running those companies, and um, basically I just met them and uh, we spoke and we did small project or worked out bigger project worked out and then oh maybe we should start a company together and uh, you do the technical stuff and I do the marketing and the sales and stuff like that and um, that's basically how it uh, how it worked out yeah. So the other interesting thing about that to me is that in my experience with uh, dealing with Europeans and, and my wife is French and being here and stuff, entrepreneurship, at least years, a few years ago, was not necessarily like an honorable thing in Europe, right? And so is that something that's changed, you think, or is that something that you still have resistance with? That's a great question. And I think France, France is worse. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's getting more honorable. Uh, but still, I, there's such a big leap between the States and, and, and Holland, for example. There's so much resistance uh, when it comes to growing the company, making more money, talking about money even, you know. And in the States, it's really normal to talk about how much you made or how much you do in sales. In Holland, you don't talk about that stuff. It's like when you do, you're bragging and uh, it's something we don't talk about. And it's a, it's a big uh, cultural difference between the States and, and, and Holland, for example, when it comes to uh, entrepreneurship. But I do see a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of entrepreneurs in Holland and it's growing and people are more open for it and it's all because of the internet as well, you know, like 10 years ago, maybe even 7 years ago, people didn't know about those American gurus, I mean, they were non-existent, but now with Facebook, there's no, there's no just Holland anymore, it's just worldwide, so you get all the information, you get the inspiration, so I think Holland is becoming more... U.S. based as well, you know, you more U.S. inspired as well, and um, and I think it's a good development. We get the good stuff from the states, you know, like the inspiration, the growing, the uh, thinking in possibilities. Uh, because a lot of Dutch people are really skeptical, and um, somewhere is good, you know, it's good to be uh, to be uh, grounded and be okay. But sometimes we can think more in possibilities and growth instead of um, you know the skepticism. So yeah. And, uh, you know, you were telling me a little bit before we recorded, but so uh, based on what you just said, too, you know, the Internet and all this stuff, is, and you're getting a lot of inspiration from America and everything, but but from what you said before, it sounds like you're still marketing primarily to people in Holland. So is what are the sort of the unique challenges that you see in that, and, and is it is there a reason that you're not sort of focusing on a more global sale? Um... <laughs> no, it's a good question because um, the challenge, I mean, the, 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 the benefits of doing marketing in Holland is that it's really easy. I mean, if you have an opt-in page, you get opt-ins. Or if you have a sales page, people will buy because it's not saturated. I mean, even in, in, in markets like the diet market or the make money market or whatever, if you do just good stuff, you'll be number three or number four or whatever, you know, and, and you can really make a good living, you can really have a good business. So it's it's relatively easy to have a good business in the in Holland. We're really lazy over here. I mean, in the states, you really have to do outstanding marketing just to you know to 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 be out there, to be known over here. Do the small stuff. I mean, nobody's over here doing podcasts. Nobody's doing webinars. It's like, and nobody is a big word, but like every market, maybe two or three. You know, it's like zero crowded. So that's the 
the advantage. The disadvantage, I think, in um, so my personal struggle with the Dutch market has been for a long time that they're not really open for crazy ideas. I have some crazy ideas, you know. It's um, and in the states they're much more open for it. And um, um, no, for example, when I talk about internet fasting, I don't know if you know about it, but it's like. I get zero response over here. They'll be like, "Yeah, it's it's it, it might work for you, but it's not relevant for me," you know. And in the states, I mean, people love it. You know, they were like, "Oh, cool, I'll try it." And um, so I feel that a lot of um, I love Holland. I love Holland, but I feel that a lot of Dutch people they're skeptical to great ideas. And in the states, they're open for great ideas. And um, so that has been one of my challenges for me. I don't have a business model for the U.S. market, but I do. I am sharing now my ideas. So I have my podcast and. I'm going to create uh, English videos to. I just want to release my ideas and my experience in the um, in the worldwide market, and um, so um, which is amazing for me to do because because I don't have a business model in the U.S. market, I can go all out, you know, with sharing my ideas, and there's no hook or whatever. So um, so the challenges is it's a different crowd over here, and obviously it's less big. It's it's. Uh, But it's still pretty hard to saturate the market. I mean, 16, 17 million people—it's not that many people, but still, it's a big, a lot of people. And um, but uh, so, yeah, there are more possibilities over here than people think and people realize because it's really easy to to go to the top five of your market to just do good stuff. And in the states, you have to compete against a thousand other people, you know. So um, yeah, that, that's—I think those are the big, big, big differences. So, so you mentioned podcasting, which I want to ask you about because I, I, obviously we're recording this interview for a podcast. I think podcasting is such an incredible medium. Um, but so, and you said people aren't really doing that here. So, like, what, how is that? How is that received? Do you have to explain? I mean, I, I in, even in the U.S., I often have to tell people what a podcast is and how they download it. So, well, that's the, the same thing with educating, like webinars. Before you do a webinar over here, you got to explain what a webinar is. <laughs> And the same thing with podcasts. It's um, and it's 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 getting faster, you know, the development and the growth and all that stuff. But um, yeah, you have to educate them again. And uh, in the business market, maybe a lot of people know podcasts. But if you're, for example, you're in the 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 um, you're selling gardens or whatever, you're having gardening tips. Or you definitely have to explain what is a podcast or what is a webinar before you uh, launch it. But it's also comes with great possibility because then you have the first mover advantage you know it's uh, yeah and, and people will never forget you so that, and that's that's really interesting to me um, because you, it's a challenge but it's also this really amazing opportunity because yeah. this stuff doesn't exist so now what are some of the marketing tech, what are some of the marketing technologies now that you are really interested in because like, Growth hacking has become something that I've kind of been fascinated with, and like building funnels and all that stuff. So, uh, we were talking about Facebook ads before. Is that, like, what are some of the marketing tools that are really indispensable for you? Yeah. Yeah. So Facebook is huge. Um, I'm not a big fan of using Facebook as a personal, you know, privately, but um, because it takes so much time. I mean, you're big into productivity. I'm the same. You know, I love it. And um, so, but business-wise, it's you can you can really on a short amount of time you can reach so many people and, 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 and grow your business so extremely fast especially here in the state in, in all, um, if you have the budget and if you're um, so um, yeah Facebook is huge um, webinars huge podcasting huge um, Instagram is, is getting big um, and they're releasing they haven't they don't have it in Holland yet but like also ads on Facebook uh, Instagram One of the things we're looking into is buying um, Facebook pages and buying Instagram pages. Um, that's something we've been working on today, by the way. And um, I mean, you can literally buy, for example, an Instagram profile with 200,000 followers, for example, with inspiring quotes or whatever. This is not smart. I'm telling my business model right now, my secrets. And um, and uh, you can buy it for like two or three thousand euros, or three, yeah, and huge, huge growth, huge. Um, Huge reach, and you can get it for you, know, you buy it for two, three thousand euros, and you have it for the rest of your life. You know, you can use that asset for the rest of your life. So, a couple of years ago, what we did a lot was buying websites, like really buying virtual real estate, and then you have it. It's an asset. You know, if you if you know how to monetize it well and, and use it for to grow your current business. 
So that's really, if you talk about growth hacking, buy stuff that's already working from other people uh, that don't know how to monetize it. So that's a, that's a big one. And it's something I don't hear a lot of people talking about. So, well, actually, Insta I mean, I've heard about that for Facebook. I've never heard about that for Instagram. Yeah. So, but the, and I, I agree, Instagram has been a really interesting platform for me, too. In the last couple of months, I've added a few thousand, like a thousand followers, and, and I've actually gotten podcast interviews and a sponsor for my event, and things I never would have thought for Instagram. But how do you bridge that gap between having the Instagram followers and then actually getting them to opt? Like, where's that divide? You know? Actually, it's really simple, and it's I'm a really practical dude, so you buy uh, an Instagram uh, profile with, for example, 100,000 uh, followers, and then if they do like two or three inspiring quotes per day or something, you just add one of your quotes or one of your, um, for example, your podcast, just a picture of your podcast, and, and then, you know, put your uh, Instagram uh, profile underneath, and a certain percentage will click on it and start following you every day. So it's... Um, Actually, just really—it's almost too simple. Just you, you get the you get the you get the profile, and then every day, or maybe once every two days, or once every three days, you promote your other accounts, and um, you get more people to your to your own account. So, um, yeah, it's 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 really simple, really easy, and um, maybe because it's so simple, not that many people are doing it. But then, from Instagram, how are you driving them to like opt in or to your list or whatever the next yeah. step is? So for me, I, we, we're not really focusing on that yet because I see I, I see business as two things, sowing and reaping. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at sowing, so for example, buying a profile with a lot of followers and getting them to your own profile, that's sowing, like giving value, creating value. And uh, But also the podcast and the videos and the webinars are just sowing. But I'm also really good at reaping, like doing launches, doing sales webinars, doing marketing campaigns, all that stuff. So basically, it's um, for us, it's a big part of our sewing strategy to really uh, create a lot of value. And from there, people will go to your often page or go to your website or ch subscribe to your podcast. And then they listen to 24 of your podcasts and then they'll go to an event. And then from the event, maybe they'll buy something or whatever. So it's... We're, we're not really big into measuring everything. We're just really good at providing a lot of value. And uh, for us, one of my main goals in, in the Dutch market, but it's also going to be one of my main goals in the US market, is to become the most valuable player. And that's the sole goal. And like reaping, like really making money out of it, that's not the problem. But really get the attention and get the following and get the opt-ins and get the traffic, that's, that's something uh, that's, that's really important and something we, we understand, yeah. So I'm really glad you said that. It's, that's a that's a something that I believe in too. Where it's, it's that you're you're giving all this value, and then the, the hardcore marketers will say like, well, but you can't measure the results from that. But to me, you're right. It's like somebody listens to a podcast, and then they maybe recommend to a friend, and then that person gets a book, and then they go to. So it's very hard to measure, but you can kind of get a qualitative sense of what's happening. So uh, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews, and you can interpret this however you like, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Oh, so number one, switch off the internet. Literally, switch off the internet. It's the number one thing. Um, so I call it internet fasting. Like, have a certain amount of time that you're just simply not on the internet. I mean, you flew from, from the States to Holland. You were probably really productive on your way from the States to Holland because you probably worked for a couple of hours. Extreme focus, no uh, disruption. And like literally what you have in a plane, I have at my house or I have a man cave where I go to, there's no Wi-Fi. And I'm extremely productive. I'm totally relaxed, totally at ease. And I, get, I really get a lot of work done. So that's number one. And it's maybe the most important thing. I try to do it every day, and when I'm like really peaking, like a peak productive, I'm on the internet for one hour a day. So I'm off the internet for 23 hours and on the internet for one hour a day, and that's huge. That's like if you talk about hacking, that's hacking like crazy. And it's um, I get more stuff done now in a day than I used to do in a month, and it's uh, and I'm more relaxed, more productive, and and this is going away. So. That's number one. Number two is, um, and this is a big one as well, I gave away my password for my Facebook account so to my uh, assistant. So 
So I have two people on my team who have, who have my password for my Facebook account and they change it every time. So for me, right now, it's impossible to be on Facebook. Um, so if you send me a message or whatever or you put something amazing on your timeline, I won't see it because for me it's impossible to get onto Facebook. I haven't been on Facebook for like two months right now and I haven't logged in for two months right now. And because it's such a time waster, you know, it's, it takes away time. And for me, time is life, you know. And if you take away my time, you take away my life, part of my life. And um, so I give away, uh, I gave away my, my password. Whenever I want to get on Facebook, I have to get behind their computer and be on Facebook. So it's, it's uncomfortable as well. So, and, the, 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 and another thing for Facebook, I, um, if they edit my password, I... I tell them to make a painful password. So, for example, my daughter's name is Dani, and I, t I tell them like create a password like less time with Dani, or uh, one hour away from your daughter, or whatever. And um, <laughs> so it's painful to type it. Yeah, it's badass. So, um, so number one, no internet. Number two, get off Facebook. And I think number three is um, exercise. Exercise. So. Um, yeah, I'm a different person when I exercise, and uh, and also, yeah, maybe the maybe the third thing is outsource your discipline. So if you have a tough time to go to the gym, for example, not because you don't like it, but just because life is, you know, life is happening, um, get a personal trainer and, and do four times a week with a personal trainer. Just buy that discipline, so you don't have to think about going because you just have the appointment, and you don't have to think about it. You don't need any discipline. You'll just go and and you know you'll be in better shape, you'll be better health and uh, more productivity. So I think those are the three things for me. Yeah. I love it. That, well, an internet fast is very interesting and a lot of people would be like, there's no way that I could just do an hour a day on the internet, but it's, it's absolutely true. You're right. If you really want to, you can. Yeah. Uh, and Neil Strauss, who's an author who we've had on the podcast, same thing. He'll do an hour, sometimes two a day, but oh, his wow. girlfriend has the password oh, wow. to block it, so he, yeah, has oh, no choice. Perfect. So, uh, all right, well, we'll have show notes and everything, but what's, uh, what's the best place for people to find out more about you and, you know, your coaching business and all that? Yeah. And your podcast. Yeah. I'll just, uh, if, just, just search for my name on the, on the, on the podcast app uh, or go to my uh, website. It's uh, eel.co. So it's my first name with a dot after the L, so eel.co. And, and, uh, but I think the podcast, if you search for the podcast, I think you'll like it. Awesome. Well, Ico, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hello everyone, thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.